This is Aviation Careers Podcast, an aviation podcast about living your dream and pursuing an exciting aviation career. Your host, Carl Valeri, has over a decade of experience counseling pilots. Aviation Careers Podcast will help you navigate towards your aviation career goal. Here is your host, Carl Valeri. Welcome to the Inspirational, Informational, and Transparent Aviation Careers Podcast. Joining me today is co-host Justin Ash to help me answer your questions. And don't forget, you can write into us feedback at aviationcareerspodcast.com. Hey, Justin, welcome to the podcast. How's it going? Uh, thanks for having me back. Looking forward today and being able to answer some people's questions. Yeah, this is going to be awesome. We, uh, I got done doing some flying. I was really happy with my last landing. So it's always good to have a good landing as your last landing before a long vacation. I'm off for like three weeks and, of course, uh, running around. But uh, have you been doing any cool flying or anything neat that you've been doing in the simulators lately? Yeah, I've been doing a lot of good stuff. We um, Right now, just been doing a lot of teaching uh, you know, we've got a lot of new hires and different people coming through the schoolhouse, and that's been a lot of fun. I've actually been doing more flying in, in uh, GA as well, um, flying around uh, the Cirrus and getting to do that. Took a trip down to Fort Myers a couple weeks ago. That was a lot of fun. I took uh, the family down there for a birthday party, so that was a lot of fun. I got to take up another friend of mine. We went and did some sightseeing. So, I've been pretty much just uh, teaching and enjoying uh, some of the GA side of stuff lately. So you're back into general aviation, and you know, it's interesting, uh, people that fly for the airlines and also fly general aviation, the one common theme is like when you're taking off and landing, it feels like your butt's kind of scraping along the runway. It, it must be a challenge going back and forth between the two. Yeah, it can be. I mean, it's if you don't do it, that's where I usually find the the toughest is when you take a break you know for maybe three or four months from the GA airplane and then you get back in and you feel like you're sitting on the ground um, because you're used to sitting so high if I fly them both regularly it's not too bad but yeah anytime I take a break or vice versa Mm -hmm. if I get back in the bigger airplane I'm like whoa wait a minute (laughs) (laughs) I'm way too high up in the air so but I've been lucky lately I've been able to fly a fair amount um in both and that's been nice I did a Nassau turn the other day and then actually came back and flew the small airplane later that day so it's been a lot of fun Awesome. That's great to hear. I love to hear people that go from GA into the airlines and back and forth because, I mean, folks that have been listening to me for years know that I've done that for so many years, doing flight instruction on the outside, etc. Uh, you have to be careful, though. I changed jobs, so I had to get approval to do that and it took me a few years just to get approval. But Justin, you know, I get this question often, so before we get into the Q&A, uh, one of the things that I hear this so many times is, do you really still enjoy general aviation now that you're an airline pilot? I do. Um, I do enjoy it. It's one of those things where, to me, I get to go do the type of flying that, that I want to do. I get to go where I want. And what I really enjoy about it is getting to enjoy it with my family and friends. You know, the excitement in them um, when they get to go up. You know, I took my daughter down to Fort Myers and she was – you know, had her all strapped into the front seat and, you know, we're taking off and she's just, I mean, smiling ear to ear, having a good old time. So I don't do a ton of GA flying like on my own, just in the airplane by myself, but I love being able to take family and friends and, um, 
show them, you know, flying and getting to do sightseeing or go on trips. So yeah, it's, that's the best part to me. Yeah, it is an exciting world up there in the air. No matter what type of airplane you're in, whether it's a Cessna or it's actually a Cirrus or maybe it's an Airbus or an Embraer, it's still a wonderful view no matter where you are. And that's what's wonderful about flying. It doesn't matter the size of the aircraft. It's the fact you're in the air. And that proves itself with you and also myself. I just love getting up in the air still in, in small airplanes. Only issue is that the air conditioner is a little bit different. It's not quite as good as in the bigger planes. Uh, although with the Cirrus, it might be better sometimes. <laughs> the Cirrus does pretty good. It'll, I actually, um, I'll, it believe it or not, it'll freeze me out of the cockpit. Wow. Um, if it's at all now, if it's in the nineties, not as much, but when it gets down into the low eighties, you actually have to turn it down. It works pretty well, but yeah, I'm with you. It takes, I just enjoy it because other people, you know, they ask questions and they love it. And it really takes kind of like what you're saying, takes me back to really enjoying the flying and all the questions they ask and how excited they are about it. I love it. So. So one other question I get a lot in my coaching sessions, not so much on feedback, is in flying general aviation, uh, do you ever get worried about the possibility of it ruining your career? In other words, mm, having a violation or something like that? Um, I, I do and I don't. I mean, to me, it's, it's one of those situations where I fly GA the same way I fly at the airlines. You know, I, I take the same precautions – um, I generally stick to, you know, VFR weather when it's nice out. I'm not, I don't, um, you know, I don't push it any more in GA than I would at the airline. I hold myself to that same standard of safety. So to me, it doesn't bother me that much. I'm so comfortable. I've been doing it my whole life. Uh, I mean, I guess there is a little bit of inherent risk maybe of that happening, but I try to keep all my ducks in a row to make sure it doesn't happen. So. You know, before we move on to the questions, one more thing. If you're thinking of getting into general aviation flying, you've been out of it for a while, I highly recommend going out there, getting with an instructor and asking them to explain the VFR charts and all the different type of airspace because you and I have been used to flying IFR. And if you're flying VFR, you need to know where the restricted areas, prohibited areas, the TFRs, that type of thing. There's one way to alleviate that problem. A lot of uh, guys actually and gals, they'll just go ahead and file IFR. That's what I used to do all the time when I flew GA, but there's times you just want to just go out there and fly. So my advice usually is to really get to know the, the VFR environment. Hopefully, uh, I would assume that that might be yours, or maybe you could add to that, Justin. Yeah, I agree with you 100% there. When you're used to flying IFR, you know, when I take my dad up, I mean, he flew the airlines his whole career and hasn't flown VFR in a long time. And so when I take him up, he, he just kind of sits there because he's like, I, you know, when he flew airspace, it wasn't even the modern airspace. So, yeah, I agree with you. VFR, you want to brush up on it, the airspace, all that, but also the regulations. You know, I was out flying the other day and coming down south of Daytona back to Orlando and they cleared me back to Orlando executive. And, you know, I said, OK, am I cleared into the class Bravo? And he keys up and goes, oh, yeah, 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 you're cleared into the class Bravo. You know, so understanding the rules and what you've got to be cleared into and your communication requirements. Absolutely. You want to make sure you're familiar with that and get with an instructor. I mean, a lot of guys will go fly around with you, cost you a little bit, but they can give you a lot of knowledge in a short period of time, especially if you're rusty on the VFR stuff. Because in my opinion, when you're flying for fun, I, my opinion, I, I love doing it VFR. So, 
Yes, I, I have to agree. I do everything VFR, but like I said, when I'm, when you're navigating around prohibited or restricted areas, sometimes it's good just to file an IFR flight plan, but but fly VFR. So great advice, Justin, and uh, hopefully that if you're thinking of a career in aviation, you'll continue on to flying. Uh, you know, I, I hope general aviation, you'll stick with it. Even if you don't fly GA, hang around the airport and you know mentor people. I think that's absolutely terrific. Anyway, let's get on with some of the questions here. Um, let's start with one that we got in. He says, I am 18 years old, graduating high school this year, and have chosen the path to become an airline pilot. I've been in love with flying since I was little. I'm planning to start a program in which I go two years to community college and get my license and then continue over to UNT to get my bachelor's in aviation. That's another college. My goal is to be a major airline pilot, but I have one setback. I have asthma from the forums that I've seen. Asthma is a big problem in the majors, but I don't trust the forums. As you said, they can be really misleading. Do you think I can get hired to a major airline with asthma? I've listened to all your podcasts and they help so much. I'm definitely going to need some coaching in the future. Thanks. Well, I appreciate that. The um, As far as your asthma is concerned, one of the, everybody has different forms, different levels of asthma, et cetera. The best thing you can do is consult with an aviation medical examiner. And there's actually a, a couple of companies out there. The one that I usually send people to, to talk to, if you're a medical examiner in your area that you've worked with, maybe they're not really up on all the airline stuff and, and FAA regulations. I tell people to go to aviationmedicine.com. Really good people, and uh, they they really the, the consultation I think is like seventy five dollars. Don't quote me on that. I think it's it's really inexpensive, and they will help you through that process to decide whether this career is for you. The problem with the forums and the problem with actually some of the other. Um, and I love all the aviation organizations that are out there. I want to make that caveat before I say this is that they don't have quite as much experience as these folks do and the folks that deal with airline pilots. So make sure you go to the, the correct resource. And sometimes a lot of the general aviation, uh, type of, uh, organizations that are out there without naming any of them, of course, cause I support all of them. Uh, they don't know quite as much about the airline world. So you might go to those organizations and they'll say there, you'll never be able to fly with the airlines with asthma. You go to these folks, aviationmedicine.com, and they'll say, Oh yeah, you can fly. So yes, I've seen people fly with asthma, but it all depends. That's the thing. And, and I'm not a doctor. I don't know your situation, obviously. And that's not something obviously we can discuss here on the podcast, but, uh, I would, I would definitely look towards, uh, talking to the people at aviationmedicine.com. I, I know a few people that have minor asthma and not sure if it's on their medical or not, but I don't know that. I, I'm assuming there are some. And Justin, have you, uh, do you know much about the asthma or have, do you know somebody who has asthma that's flying now? I don't know a lot about it, to be honest, Carl. I know a few people that have overcome some things. You know, really, the advice you gave would be what I would give. Talk to a trusted AME or reach out to a trusted group. Um, Really, at the end of the day, you know, as far as it's going to be more about getting your medical. If you can hold a class one medical, the majors are you're going to be, you know, from my experience, you're going to be okay. Uh, but you got to make sure you can hold that class one medical and that's what the AMEs and uh, those groups will be able to help you with and how to sustain that and make sure everything is, is documented correctly. The one thing I will say is make sure you get with somebody and make sure the documentation is done correctly. Make sure everything's filed with the FAA correctly because I've heard and experience with people I know 
um, that things will get confused or they'll put the wrong thing on the piece of paper, use the wrong word or something like that. And it, it can, um, it can make things more difficult. So just make sure you're working with somebody that, that knows exactly how it needs to be done. Great advice. And to your point, Justin, I've had a, a run in with the FA as far as the medical examiners and, uh, the one of the things that you have to realize is everything has to be done the FAA way, and that's why it's important to consult with people like these folks uh, and the a- aviation medical examiner in your area that has dealt with a lot of these issues. Because in my case, we I did something wrong on the paperwork because they wanted to get some information. Sure enough, they postponed my medical, and uh, I had to actually make sure that I got it right. And by to do that, I had to hire somebody like these folks to fix it. So great advice, Justin, is to do that. Um, but one thing you have to realize, and I get this question a lot too, once I get my first class medical, I'm good to go. There's, there, They'll never take it away. Well, yes and no. I mean, if you develop a condition, uh, then, then of course they can actually defer or actually deny you your medical. So you have to realize that you will always need to take a medical and keep yourself healthy for the rest of your career. And something, yes, can come up later. Something related to your asthma can, can uh, come up, or not just your asthma, but anything else uh, in your medical background that was fine 20 years ago may not be fine now, or the FA may want you to look into it further 20 years down the road. Uh, are they going to deny you? Probably not, but uh, but it can happen. And, and just remember... Things are changing. Um, they're letting people come back after some tests are done, and uh, after you've gone through a, a proc progress or process, excuse me, uh, that will actually make them happy with the way that your medical has progressed, and they'll say, "Okay, yeah, we will give you your medical back," and it might have some contingencies and all. So that's why you should talk to these folks. Anyway, thanks for the question. I think that was terrific. Good stuff. Um, moving on to our next question, says Mr. Valeri. Good day. I'd like to know if you provide resume drafting assistance. I'm a helicopter pilot looking to change into the regionals. I have a resume that I used for a current job I have now. However, I know I need some professional guidance on crafting a resume appropriate for the airlines and one that utilizes current resume style and formatting. Thank you. A couple things. Yes, we do that through our career coaching. Uh, We actually have people send in their resume. We also have an online course called the Pilot Jobs Book. I have some sample, simple resumes that you can use. There's many different ways you can go. But uh, normally what we do is we tell people to take a look at the Pilot Jobs Book, even if you don't take the whole course. The first part is free, has some sample resumes and also uh, a sample cover letter. Send us that resume. We'll go over it and we'll uh, spend like an hour or so after we review it. What we do is we'll get your resume, get your cover letter. We write all over it. We make suggestions. We scan it. We send it back to you. And then we sit down for uh, an hour discussion as to not just uh, the resume and cover letter, but also your career goals and how to, to actually you know massage that and, and make it more appropriate for what you're looking to do. Uh, you may be someone looking to go to the majors. You may be somebody looking to go to cargo. There might be some subtleties there you might want to want to change there. So yes, we do do that. Anyway, thanks for the question. Um, On to the next one says, uh, I have a pretty specific general question. At age 49 and a private pilot with about 300 hours of time, am I too late to look to flying commercially as my last career? Quote unquote. I'm curious as I have a passion for flying, but would love an opportunity to transition into an aviation career into retirement down the road. 
Any advice will be very helpful. Well, I'm going to turn this one over to the instructor at the major airline and ask him, at 49 years old, do you see people coming through that may be in that age range or more? Oh, absolutely. Um, I mean, we see... I tell generally speaking, it's anything, anybody from 25 to 55. Most of the time, every class has somebody over the age of 50 and somebody under the age of 30. The majority fall between 30 and 50. Um, but yeah, 49, I would say is not too late. I would also follow that up with it's, you know, you, you want to get started. You want to start flying as much as you possibly can, uh, to try to get, to where you want to be within the next, you know, two to three years. Um, but I don't think so. I mean, as you know, if you could be in a major by the age of 55 with the way the movement is now, you could have a really nice 10 year career, um, at a major airline. And that's, I mean, that's six years out for you. So that's definitely not undo, um, definitely doable. And uh, you could probably do it even a little bit sooner than that, depending on how much you were willing to fly. So, yeah, I think, I mean, 10 years at a major airline, um, that's a great earning potential, uh, a lot of great benefits, and um, you'd have a lot of fun doing it. And you'd actually move up, you know, with the retirements and everything else, you you know, you'd retire with a little bit of seniority. So, no, I absolutely don't think that's uh, too old to get started. I think, too, and to his question, he said his, quote, unquote, last career it sounds like you've already had a career you have a retirement uh and to that point one of the things you need to remember is many of these air force pilots or i should say military pilots in general that come in they're retired after a 20-year career at the military and now they're doing this as their last career quote unquote yes they're a little bit younger they're getting out a little bit earlier than that but there are a lot of people coming through that say have another career this is going to be their second career Another thing to look at, too, as far as, as the major is some people uh, in your age group, I, I hear this a lot lately, are saying, well, what if I just stop at the regionals? Of course, the regionals are great. There's a lot of great flying out there. There's actually regional airlines that are bigger than some of the major airlines that are out there. But, you know, just don't forget to keep going towards your goal. I mean, this is a second career. This is something you're doing because it's a dream. If it's a dream job to fly something wide body, whatever, go for it. Um, you know, there's actually airlines out there hiring into the 777 in a wide body. Because uh, obviously, you have to realize it's going to be a change in lifestyle. It's going to change in money. But that shouldn't matter as much for somebody who's doing it as a second career. And, and, and that's something we help a lot of people with through our, our career coaching. That's the majority of the folks that I talk to maybe about 70% are actually looking to move careers. And this is being their second or even third career. So it's, it's a wonderful career, that's for sure. And I, I, like, I like the point you made, uh, Justin, the, the age range of people coming through. So it's never, it's never too late to do something. You just have to realize that there's an end point, like 65 years old. And just do the math, that's all. Well, and to touch on that too, Carl, a lot of people, um, and I'm sure you, you've probably experienced this, a lot of people that are in their 40s, even early 50s, they think that they're at a disadvantage, that the airlines aren't going to want them. Um, and I haven't found that to be true. You know, the airlines are really looking for, I think they're looking for maturity. They're looking for somebody that has life experience because the responsibility level, you know, of our job being out on the road on our own in charge of, you know, the running and the operation for a multi-million dollar airplane, you know, they want that sound judgment. They want that experience. And whether you're 50 or you're 30, you cost the airline the same amount of money. So 
I haven't found it to be, um, but I have found a lot of people think, oh, well, I'm just unhirable because I'm too old. And I just haven't seen a ton of evidence, you know, to support that. So interestingly, the one question that I get the most of is, am I too old? And you hear that a lot on this podcast, am I too old to do whatever it is I want to do? And uh, it really depends on your health and uh, whether you're willing to change directions. Uh, Usually when you get older, there are certain things that happen in life, like you have kids, going to college, etc. But a lot of folks in your age range and, and a little bit above, now while the kids are getting out of the house, it's time for them to move on to the second career. So it's really, uh, we, a lot of p- folks call it a dream career is what they call it. And, uh, and they're moving on to that. And, and I think it's terrific that, that you're thinking of doing that. And, uh, it's, it's called, and, and there is another term, by the way, that a lot of people give to this. And you'll see a lot of career coaches out there on the internet do what's called encore careers. And this is really a part of that whole encore career. And that's a lot of the coaching we do as folks that uh, are looking at an encore career, something moving forward from where they are now. So great question. Great question. I have another question coming in here, and this is a a much longer version, so I'm not going to get into everything, but I want to summarize this. Uh, First, a little blurb from what he's talking about. He's uh, 55 years uh, young. I like how he says it, 55 years young now, and I've already had a great dream career. I'm now pursuing dream job number two, having already achieved dream job number one. I know that persistence, I can get to the dream job number two. Determination is a simple formula, though not always that simple. Uh, This is something, and he goes on to his career in another job that he got to do exactly what he wanted. We're not going to go into too many specifics, but he wound up uh, getting diabetes. And in the United States, insulin-dependent diabetes can be an issue, um, and they're changing certain things in the U.S. for class three medicals, but class one medicals, uh, it's a little bit slower, the changes. Uh, They are looking towards people that are insulin dependent to see if there's uh, any issues as far as in-flight, that type of thing, and really interesting stuff out there. I won't go into it too much, but it's really as fascinating. Uh, And Canada actually has uh, found that, you know, they they found that people can fly with the insulin dependent diabetes, and they are ones that have moved forward with the first uh, class one, excuse me, medical in flying uh, up in Canada. So this person has decided to uh, go ahead on up to Canada and start looking at uh, getting a job there and was, you know, obviously the Canadian airlines aren't hit as hard as we are uh, with the pilot shortage. As a matter of fact, you know, I hear it all the time, people coming down to the U.S. first, uh, to move forward. But uh, one of the questions this individual had after having his dream job uh, and, you know, developing diabetes, he wanted to know um, if I know people in the HR process and in Canada and uh, working on a work permit and how hard that can be to do that. There are people out there. Uh, we don't do a lot of that here, but I do know some f- folks in that field. It's a little bit of a process, but it's the same process as going to any other country. Uh, so can it be done? Yes. The, the best thing that I have found is talking to those people in the hiring departments at the airlines directly and say to them, hey, listen, this is what I'm thinking of doing. Can you help me? Uh, so there's, there really is, you know, that is out there. So as far as flying in Canada with a, with a first class, yeah. 
Uh, that's something that you really uh, can do, but you have to also get hired in Canada. And like you said, the the shortage of pilots isn't quite as bad there as it is here in the U.S., but uh, they are starting to see some of that up there. Also, um, another thing that you talked about in his questioning was other flying employment opportunities uh, that you know we may suggest and were. Uh, you know, you may not actually need a medical, et cetera, you know, like airline simulator instructing. So, Justin, in the airline simulator realm, uh, I've seen this happen before. There's people that don't have their medical. But is that a requirement for you to have your medical if you want to, say, teach at a, a simulator job? For a simulator job, no, you don't. You can teach past age 65, and you can uh, continue teaching without a medical, as long as it's just in a sim. Um, you'll see a lot of guys that will actually fly for their airline to age 65 and then take a retirement and then continue if they were in, a lot of them were in the schoolhouse before and they'll continue on in the schoolhouse and maybe work until 70 or 72 or 73 um, and stay with it without a medical. So it's, you know, if you if you got on with an airline and then you got into the training department, you could even continue your career with that same airline in the training department after you retired from the line and uh, you didn't need the medical anymore. And, of course, one of the other great avenues for jobs, and I think something that is really important so that you can give back to society and give back to aviation in general is take a look at collegiate aviation. You know, I'm very involved with collegiate aviation and and at our local college, and some of our instructors have a ton of flight experience, but they don't fly anymore. And that may be for medical reasons or for other reasons. And those folks absolutely love their jobs because they're helping the next generation of aviators. And sometimes you hear it, they're like, gosh, you know, I I really, I'm not safe in the cockpit anymore, but I know I can help other people get there, and that's why I want to do this. And so if you go to the collegiate environment, yes, there are other avenues. I will say one thing, though, with that, a little a caveat there, and something to be uh, careful of. If you do decide to go in the collegiate environment, one of the important things is to have certain degrees. There are certain courses you cannot teach at a college unless, say, you have a master's degree level or even a doctorate, usually a master's degree level, for the upper-level courses. So we see that as a limitation. We have people that have incredible amounts of experience that we'd love to have as professors, but we can't because they don't have their master's. Uh, so that's something to think about when you go to that level, but you can always start with some of the entry-level courses. Uh, and it's just it's so rewarding. And going to your point on the, the simulator, we actually at the college I'm here at Polk State, we lost somebody to a sim job, and I'll tell you why. The simulator jobs, they pay pretty well right now, and they've always paid very well. And uh, it's a great career. There's so many good uh, sim companies out there. I've uh, been approached by many to do sim instructing, and um, you know, I just, I just love what I'm doing with the, the kids right now and at the college and the, the students there. So that's one of the reasons I, I wouldn't go towards that. But for you, I mean, this looks like a perfect situation. Uh, can you get hired directly into a simulator job with an airline uh, and uh, have a, you know, maybe a background of aviation that's a little bit older 
yeah, there's there's a possibility, um, but uh, it's best if you're going to go with an airline, I think, to to get some recent experience, et cetera, and possibly even you know work for one of the other sim companies first. Um, but Justin, at the airline you work for, do they do any type of hiring specifically just for simulator instructors from the outside that have a lot of experience? They do. They do. They'll hire. Um, they'll hire people that have experience as an instructor, maybe at another airline, or like I said, who have retired from another airline and they're just looking to continue on their career in the schoolhouse. So they do, a lot of times you'll find those jobs, they do exist. However, they tend to be very competitive and they also tend to be limited because most airlines have uh, CBAs or collective bargaining agreements that restrict the number of outside uh, outside instructors they can hire. And uh, so, you, you know, it varies from airline to airline, but it definitely does exist, especially if you're already at the airline and you came on as a pilot, you retired there and you wanted to stay in the schoolhouse. I find that's generally the easiest flow, but you can definitely come in from outside as well. Awesome. You know, there's so many inst- so many simulators popping up all over the place. By the way, as another note, we have a 737 simulator just opened up right here. Uh, it's actually an FTD, but there's all sorts of sims opening up because, gosh, there's so many job openings and there's so many career academies opening. So you're seeing more and more of those sims out there and they're doing lots of different courses. So open your mind to those type of things also. It doesn't necessarily have to be at the airline. It can get getting people ready for the airline. So think about doing that. But I love I love the fact that you really have enjoyed your past airline experience. And uh, as far as working with the uh, diabetes, like I said, aviationmedicine.com, they're really good people uh, to look towards. And, uh, you know, you mentioned a little something, or we didn't mention about basic med. That's another thing that uh, here that are something that you can look towards. Uh, university flight school, that type of thing is just awesome. Uh, so I'm I'm so glad that you're doing this. I really am. I'm glad that you're going to kind of pass your passion along to other people. And that can be even more rewarding than training an airline pilot in a simulator uh, is to see the light bulb come on in some young person and to inspire somebody and, and have this life change uh, event. And you being part of that is just absolutely incredibly wonderful. Uh, let's see. We got time for another question, don't we, Justin? Let's do one more. What do you say? Yeah. Uh, let's uh, let's take one more. Here we go. It comes in and says, and I'm not going to read all his background, but most of it. Uh, it says, thank you for what you are doing through Aviation Careers Podcast. I found out about it recently while searching Aviation Podcasts, and I've become a fan to the point of running a podcast-a-thon. A podcast-a-thon. I like that. If that term is a term. I think it is. We just made it up. That's fine. Uh, so he did this to inform himself about the industry. This is something I feel was very needed 11 years ago. Thank you again, sir. This is such an invaluable tool. I, think, I appreciate that. That's actually the reason we started this is we were looking for this resource for other people, and I just one day said, all right, I'm going to do it myself. So here we go. Uh, so that's uh, been a big help for a lot of people, and I really appreciate your passing it along. And it does help folks to better understand this career. And I also suggest 
go back way, way back and look at all the different podcasts. Look up like corporate flying and that type of thing, part 91 flying, and you'll see some podcasts we did like five or so years ago. We're refreshing those, of course, uh, in the past few years we've been doing that. Anyway, uh, he continues. My questions are today, how does a helicopter pilot who flew fixed wing and left it alone for over 10 years get back into fixed wing seat? I know my answer is get current again. Well, gosh, that was exactly what I was about to say is get in a fixed wing aircraft and get current again. And that's, uh, it's not that hard to do. And a lot of people, it comes right back to them. Uh, I'm a good example, getting current, trying to land a single engine airplane. Uh, it took me about three or four tries to get it right. It took me about 20 tries to get back to where I was when I was flying as a flight instructor. So it depends on the competency level. Uh, so I think that's a great idea to get current. Uh, what is recommended course of action to achieve it, and how current is current enough to matter and apply to the regionals? Ah, this is a great question. What is current enough to apply to the regionals? This is something that, and I'm going to let Justin also comment on this, this is something I've been doing a lot of lately, is helping people that have, say, uh, been, um, what's the word I'm looking for, they've had to stop their training or have been terminated at some of the airlines because on paper you may look good and you are current, legally current, but are you really current to do this job that it is called an airline pilot? Because you have to be proficient in flying IFR in understanding the system. And that's something I have found is a, is a bit of a challenge lately. A lot of folks are having to come back and do some more instrument training, number one. Number two, also do some training in the glass cockpit because they're not getting a lot of experience there. So what what is current enough? Current enough is that you're competent and you're current, not only current, but you're competent in flying instruments, and also you can fly the glass cockpit. So, Justin, I know there's been some challenges, uh, I'm assuming, where you've worked in just about every airline you talk to right now. Uh, you know, Maybe you could give him some advice as to how to get current enough to get hired. Yeah, it's, you know, right now it's tough because it's, um, you know, we're in a different time in this business, and, I, you know, you experience that every day, Carl, with the people you work with, and I see it in the schoolhouse you know, right now at the major airline level, it's not as not as big of a, an issue. We don't see it nearly as much because our pilots are generally coming from regionals or uh, 135 positions where they've been flying IFR, larger aircraft. But at the regional level, I have several friends, colleagues that that are there trying to go there. And the regionals really are taking anybody who's current on paper for the most part uh, they need pilots and they need pilots badly so the fact that you're current enough to maybe get picked up I agree with you Carl doesn't necessarily mean you're current enough to get through training and when it comes to training the most important thing to understand is to make sure you have your fundamentals down and that's the knowing the IFR fundamentals flying, understanding this, your IFR scan, your instrument scan, all of these different kinds of things, understanding how to read an approach plate properly, 
what all the terms are, what everything means, because these are the things that when you get to the airline, they're not going to teach you. You're expected to already know. And so going and working with an instructor specifically on instrument-based training, briefing approach plates, especially if you can find an instructor that maybe has some airline experience um, and knows what they're going to be looking for is really good. And also sitting in a, a glass cockpit and getting a glass cockpit down, a great airplane to do that with, um, and I might be kind of biased, but <laughs> is the Cirrus because the Cirrus has a functioning FMS or somewhat like a functioning FMS in it where you plug things into a keypad and it works similar to how an FMS would work in a large aircraft. It also has all the, a lot of the same symbology, flight path symbols and things like that that you'll get used to seeing. And then you can work with an instructor on how to properly brief in a plate and things of that nature. But anyways, those types of things is what I recommend um, because currency on paper, currency is on, on paper is, you know, three landings within the net last 90 days, right? Um, but that doesn't mean necessarily mean we're instrument current. And I've even seen this with people who are current, but we're mainly doing VFR flying, you know, guys towing banners and things of that nature. I just talked to a gentleman yesterday. He's looking, he's starting his first uh, regional airline training event here in the next two or three weeks. And almost all of his experience, he owned his own um, spray uh, flying spray planes. And uh, so everything he did, you know, he joked, he's like, the airplane that I've flown for the last how many ever years doesn't even have an altimeter in it. You know, so I told him, I said, sit down in a glass cockpit, get familiar with the instrument stuff, because that's where the that's where the hurdles going to be. Great advice. You know, one of the things that I've found is I'm getting a lot, like I said, about one a week uh, termination from one of the airlines, primarily the regionals. Uh, one thing I want to say to you that's listening that have had that happen in, in your career is remember, you're not alone. There, This happens, especially at the regionals. You know, 10 to 15 percent of the folks will, will not make it through for some reason or another. Some of them are because of the fact they just don't have the currency as far as the IFR is concerned. Sometimes we think that, hey, you know, I am IFR current. I can go do this, and it comes back very quickly. For some, that does. It does happen, okay? But for the majority, we need to actually go out there and practice, practice, practice to get ready uh, for our instrument currency. One of the things I always suggest is use one of those software programs like Explain to get that currency down as far as all the procedures and stuff like that. It's so inexpensive. So now you can go through that. Now you get with an instructor afterwards and you say, okay, what am I doing? What am I doing right? What am I doing wrong? And then you get up in the airplane and it's uh, it's a great way to get ready to actually go fly IFR. So uh, make sure you are current and somebody tells you, an instructor is honest with you and says, yes, you're ready. You can go fly IFR in an aircraft, and especially one that has glass. There's many instances of glass out there. I know G1000 is real popular. There's a lot of opportunities, and there's actually a lot of courses out there in transitioning to glass. Some of them are online, so check those out. Um, anyway, to continue on with, uh, and just again, that point, you're not alone. If this has happened to you, I know what you feel like, uh, it, and, and I tell you, I work with this every day. And don't be embarrassed. Just just figure out what happened. Uh, reevaluate and then move forward. Just fix it and move forward. That's all I have to say about that. Um, anyway, this person continues and says, should someone with my background focus on multi-engine 
uh, flying. Will it matter? Um, now, this person has a lot of multi-engine time, has 110 multi-engine time. Uh, that's fixed-wing multi-engine and also a lot of helicopter time. I wouldn't focus so much on the multi-time. I'd focus because you have enough. Uh, I would focus more on the fact of getting current, IFR current. That's really uh, more important to you. Uh, but uh, And uh, uh, Justin, do you uh, also agree with that? I mean, I wouldn't. this person has about 110 multi. It really doesn't need much more of that, right? Yeah. At this point, you know, you're going to be moving on um, and building multi-time where you go and you're not going to have any problem with your the current amount of time you have. So, yeah, I wouldn't focus on that. Um, I agree with you, Carl. So you'll, you'll get good quality of time wherever you end up, multi-time. It's going to be turbine time, so. Yeah, and the multi-time in a jet's a little bit different. Um, you know, the old mixture prop, throttle, flaps up, gear up, identify, verify, feather. That thing is uh, a little bit different in, in a big airplane. It's basically push on the rudder <laughs> in a jet, make, it, make sure it keeps going straight. And, yeah. Uh, it, yeah, there's no mixture or prop or any of that exactly. And that's the thing is the multi-time isn't going to, from a flying the airplane especially if you don't have an underslung airplane if you go to a regional that's got uh you know rear mounted engines i mean it's you're almost center line thrust as it is so yeah big big difference really big difference but uh good point i like that good point uh, anyway, he continues. Uh, he says, I listened to your podcast on rotor transition programs, overcoming challenges in your past, and NIFA networking and recurrent training. You give a lot of information that has given me motivation to pursue a dream. The gears in my head are turning with these questions. So that's terrific. And, and however, you know, he has, he has a degree, and he keeps going on about his background. And I'm not going to share everything about his background. Um, and I think one of the things he has to really understand and he brings this up in his questions that he feels like maybe um he may have wasted some time i think in the tone of it but he hasn't i mean you've gotten all this amazing experience and uh if you think it's a possibility to get to that dream job as an airline pilot i think you're right i really do i think you really can do this and following your dreams is really important uh, as far as being realistic, yeah, you're a little bit older, but not that much older. You can make it there. It's just you have to say to yourself, I'm going to do this. Put a plan together. You know, being 45 years old, you got to put a plan together, get with your family, move forward, and make it to where you want to go. Because one of the things you're going to do for the rest of your life is say, you know, what if, uh, if you don't do this? And I, uh, I try to get the what ifs out of everybody's life, especially in this aviation career. Well, anyway, thanks so much for that question. I think we're going to have to end it there, uh, Justin. It's uh, It's been awesome having you uh, on the podcast again. It's great to especially bring in the perspective of somebody who's getting to see all these new people coming through at the majors and, and doing some instruction, and it's pretty exciting. Uh, and I think that uh, you're a good example of someone who's, who's really kept up with the passion in uh, both general aviation and also and the passion for flying at the airlines. So I really appreciate that, Justin. Thank you, Carl. I I always appreciate you having me on. I really enjoy being here. I enjoy the Q&A sessions and being able to answer people's questions. Um, really important. And so, yeah, it's, you know, I agree with you 100%. You just got to do it. Nowadays, the aviation industry is a good business to be in right now. And, you know, especially if you're under the age of 50, in my opinion, there's nothing holding you back but yourself. So just get out there, get with somebody, 
develop a plan, and you can definitely make it happen. Great advice, Justin. Again, thanks so much. And thank you, the listener, for coming here and sharing the time with us. And uh, hopefully we've taught you something. Hopefully we've inspired you to do something. And we've inspired you to take a look at yourself and your career and reevaluate where you are, where you want to go, and move forward. So I'd like you to do something right now. After this podcast ends, you go out and you do something right now, whether it's just writing down a note to do something, whether you take your phone, you know, those little memos, and you say to yourself, hey, don't forget to look at the courses online, or don't forget to do my resume. Oh, by the way, I got to do this. I heard this on the podcast. Do something now to get ready for your career so that you can move forward. We'll talk to you next episode and safe flying. You have been listening to Aviation Careers Podcast, an aviation podcast about living your dream and pursuing an exciting aviation career. This aviation podcast is produced by the Valeri Aviation Corporation. Although hosts or guests may receive compensation for products and services discussed in this podcast, compensation never influences our opinion. Before purchasing any product or service, you should always do your own research. Music by Billy Wheeler. All rights reserved.